welcome back to the interseason goodness that is Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, is Mr. Matthew Stockton. Don't touch that! That's my lunch! <laughs> Not relevant to this episode, technically, but uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll... I we'll, like that. We'll, yeah, that's classic. And, of course, also joining us, as always, Mr. Tim Matum. Oh, I don't like the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Oh, dear. Genuinely, if you haven't guessed from those two quotes, <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. Usually, <laughs> it's like, no, it's fucking Harry Potter, and no, it's a Batman quote. Everybody does. With great power comes out. It's a Spider-Man <laughs> episode. You know, like, I don't think a lot of people have no fucking clue what you two are talking about. <laughs> those quotes. Yeah. It's like an elimination round mm. thing where you keep S- doing it until you realize what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Only you get to listen to this episode. <laughs> Worthy listener. It cuts off for like 90 seconds. <laughs> if you hadn't already guessed, turn it off now. <laughs> <laughs> If you have guessed, turn to page 14. Yeah, if, if you, you haven't guessed, <laughs> yeah. press the skip button three times. If you turn to the wrong page, we'll know. You could, you could do like 30 seconds forward, 30 seconds back as like a page turn and just have Good it point. like choose that your would own get podcast. Incredibly confusing. <laughs> it would. Have you ever had like a listen to yeah. a podcast and skipped ahead and you're like, wow, this escalated very quickly? We were talking about one thing and now we've deviated so quickly. So I love the fact that there's an. That you, that, most people have 30 second ads or 60 second ads in their podcasts and the skip forward button is usually 30 seconds. You're like, boop. Oh, they're still talking. Boop. Hey, there we go. We're back to the thing. It's just perfect. Also, don't skip ads on podcasts, everybody, because that keeps the, the keeps the electricity on and all that shit. <laughs> it doesn't I mean, I it do. doesn't really, but it's fine. We don't have ads on the interseason stuff. We don't need to worry about it. It's fine. True. We could have different ads coming soon. We don't know. We, we know. Yes, we're yeah, to go a bit behind the scenes. There's probably a bit that's going to get edited out because we've been talking about everything but the topic of the episode for the last <laughs> two and a half minutes. It's me editing. I might leave it all in. <laughs> Another three-hour episode, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Records are made to be broken. <laughs> and to be fair, this is a topic we probably could break records on and talk for a very, very long time. We've had to restrain ourselves on purpose because. We're going to discuss a franchise that very much spans decades and different productions and different directors and different actors and all this kind of stuff. But we're going to narrow it down slightly and come back to this topic later on. So don't you worry, because in this episode, we're talking about Bond, James Bond, but not all of the James Bonds, the 60s, 70s, and up until the end of Roger Moore. In the 80s. They're basically from Dr. No. The end of Roger Moore. The end of, I mean, (laughs) rest in peace, Roger Moore. From 1962's Dr. No all the way up to A View to a Kill in 1985. So that 23-24 year span of Lazenby, Connery and Moore. And Connery again in the middle there. Mm. (laughs) We'll get to that. Half the Bonds, half the time. Half the Bonds, half the time. And let's see if we can (laughs) spend less than three hours talking about it. Yeah. So... Before we get into our thoughts and our favourites and all that kind of stuff, and I've got a couple of little special treats that the other guys don't know about, some little mini-games and stuff we can play later on. When did you guys first become aware of Bond? Like, what's your... What's your first Bond? Let's start start with that kind of, like... Because I feel like, especially being, like, British young people, relatively young... Yeah, yeah. We all have that moment where 
a, a relative or a friend or a, your dad or whatever it is sits you down it's like right we're gonna watch some james bond or is it a case of you stayed up late one night or it was on on a sunday afternoon or whatever it was i feel like bond just kind of seeps into your pores if you're a person that that watches films in mm. the last 50 years basically it's kind of hard to avoid yeah, I I mean the first Bond I saw in cinemas was I'm pretty sure Tomorrow Never Dies. Ooh, in cinemas, um, good question. I, but, I hadn't thought about that. But I could honestly not tell you what the first Bond that I saw on TV was because they were such fixtures of my youth, That's especially kind of where I was going with that. Yeah, around <laughs> yeah around Christmas time um, or like bank holidays or whatever. And I think it it genuinely was just this kind of cultural osmosis. Because I think they have a reputation, which I think even to, uh, you know, we talk about how uh, Daniel Craig is very grim and gritty and all that kind of stuff. But mm. in a lot of ways, they're kind of family friendly films, like as much as you might pick up on some horrible misogyny in them. Um, there's very little in terms of like, I can remember like my my Parents would always warn me when we were watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, like not to look at the Nazis being melted at the end, basically. Spoilers! Uh, when, I was, when, I was, when I was young. But I can't yeah. think of anything like that in James Bond. And so they were very mm. much just seen as like, this is just safe family entertainment. You know, yeah. uh, you maybe wouldn't put like a four-year-old in front of them. But <laughs> as soon as I was kind of old enough to like cogently watch films they were deemed as kind of vaguely fine. Um, and so it did just become, I, I can't really remember sitting down and being introduced to Bond. It was just something that got absorbed. And, you know, we've mentioned so many times about things that exist in the zeitgeist and, you know, the general culture and get parodied and stuff like that. And, I mean, Bond is so parodied, so mm. imitated that, you know, you pick stuff up even, you know, without being aware of it i wonder if a lot of people have absorbed that and i know i we, this needs to go on the next bingo card as me talking about <laughs> i've experienced pop culture through the filter of the simpsons because i grew up in the 1990s but take mm. people who are like you said tim older than four so they might let's say some teenagers or something like that are, are watching archer for, for whatever reason and they have no idea that archer the character Sterling Archer is based on the original drawing of James Bond by Ian Fleming, like in the little mm -hmm. side notes of one of the books. Yeah. And it, they literally just lifted that and was like, yep, that's our character. <laughs> and obviously Archer has then become this kind of ongoing espionage spy parody thing. And the obvious one, I think one of the ways I was introduced to it is Austin Powers as well, mm. which is maybe the most obvious example, except for maybe Johnny English, but fuck Johnny English. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny English, the credit card adverts, but then became the movies. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> for different exactly. aged individuals. Yeah. And I remember getting into, I don't know if it was... I don't know if it was more first, but I remember more the the, the Roger Moore era more from my childhood. That seems to be a, a bigger mm. thing for me. And I feel <clears> like maybe my dad thought that was like, oh, the Roger Moore is the more like kid friendly. He's a bit he's a bit cartoony and silly and stuff. Mm. And to be fair, and we'll get to this later on, Roger Moore's one liners are just oh on another level. The the puns, <laughs> Matthew, the puns. Puns and filth. Puns galore. <laughs> the the sexual puns. 
just incredible. And I think my dad introduced me to some one of the Roger Moore ones. They all kind of blurred together when I was a kid. Obviously, I had no idea what was going on. But it was definitely one of the lighter ones, I think. And then I kind of ha- obviously had no idea, like, oh, people are being shot and there's, you know, Bond girls and all this kind of stuff. I had no idea of all the tropes and the violence and the stuff because it's all just kind of so... Some of the violence is literally just like... He chops a guy in the neck and he goes, Ugh! or he, he like shoots a guy like <laughs> yeah. six times and he'll just like casually fall Shake off a chair a and just wobble a bit. Yeah. Because it's almost like the A-team where they did that thing where like an entire helicopter explodes and the guys crawl out of the bottom of the explosion and dust themselves off like, <laughs> see, they're fine. It's it's PG. It's fine. Everything's, the, everybody's alive again. There's a weird again. statistic about A-team whereby uh, they, every episode they go into a little workshop and they come up with these bazookas, these whole homemade rock rocket propel grenade launcher kind of things you just stuff something in it and go and fire and explode and stuff and cars would tip over but in all of the a-team the only person that's ever died is one guy in the pilot episode and you're like what yeah <laughs> they're like tons of machine guns and stuff it's like yeah they shoot stuff point. near people and they go they shut the tires <gasps> and they would steer into a box yeah. and it's yeah. like oh yeah or a bunch <laughs> of boxes i should say yeah when they crash and um, explode they just hit boxes or go off a go <laughs> off a ridge and then just go crunk and then just climb out the bottom easy yeah so, uh, what's what's your what would your be your cinema um, experience for Bond? Do you think? Uh, I'm trying to think what my first cinema Bond was. I'm really based on our age. It's got to be Brosnan. It's, got, or it, 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 it's absolutely Brosnan because I've I've seen a couple of Brosnans uh, in the cinema. I'm that trying to think. does imply the what? world is not enough. It might it might be Die Another Day. Honestly, because I would have that's been a rough, that's a rough one to start that's on. A that's a hard time. <laughs> I've definitely seen Die Another Day in the cinemas, so yeah. it must be that one. Because I would have been, I would have been yeah. nine when The World Is Not Enough came out, and I feel like it's a bit too young. Um, mm. But I was twelve when Die Another Day came out, and that's like okay. They, they were rated twelve in the cinema. I don't think twelve A was a thing. Yeah. So I, th- I might think, not been able to I get into it. What I would argue to be the worst Bond. <laughs> <laughs> to be i i i mean maybe it's because of the one i it's the one i saw and that was my era growing up but that's i fine. a lot of people would it's, it's not like far off the bottom i so that's fucking hate <laughs> that movie but we'll, we'll come back to that because we're not talking we'll about brosnan we're not no. talking about brosnan um for my own personal journey with bond as it were my father was born in the mid 50s so of course he likes bond i mentioned this to my mum on the phone a little while before we started recording i said we're doing a bond episode mum i said oh your dad liked that i said well, no, he, no won't. he won't. He doesn't listen to the podcast. But at the same time, he podcast, likes it. He's like, Matthew. oh, talking about Bond. Because it's the very comfortable familiarity of the past, unfortunately. Um, both positive and negative. Um, with regards to what Tim was saying, just to echo it a bit. My first... I remember I we mentioned this on the opening titles episode. My first cinema Bond experience was Goldeneye. And it was very formative. And I still, to this day, really enjoy it. Hence the whole, it's my lunch. Because <laughs> that is ingrained in me for some reason. But um, my first Bond that I remember watching properly is, and this is a very loose term, Connery. <laughs> because <laughs> it was one of those fucking things. I remember very distinctly it was a Connery film. Oh, yeah, I don't remember what it, again, which one it same. was. I remember it's a Roger Moore. I have no idea which Roger Moore Precisely. it was. Precisely. Yeah. And it was because, as, as you guys have said already, it's not that they were um, family-friendly films as such, but they were daytime TV films, effectively. Mm. And by that, I don't mean the production, the lavish design. I mean that they were in. By the time we were kids in the eighties and nineties, you could show them safely on television, and no one would bat an eye. And, and to not not to get into a whole toxic masculinity thing too early in this discussion, because sure, sure. we fucking will. <laughs> but right. 
it's it's a kind of a father son bonding kind of thing, isn't it? Like your dad's gonna grab a beer and you're gonna have your first yeah. sip of beer on your dad's lap while you watch some James Bond at Christmas and all this kind of stuff. It's kind yeah, of classic. Like, <laughs> I, I I didn't for the record, but you know, <laughs> I'm just making that. Up. That's my like picturing it, an but it is a very quintessentially handed down for generations and generations yeah. and it's not just handing down things i know this sounds like it's being a bit too strong a bit too quickly but fuck it it's not just handing down the idea of um come on let's share something that i like and enjoy and spend time together and you'll like it too you might oh my god there's big explosions oh he's a really cool guy it's Come on, come on, sit down. Let's reinforce the stereotypes of my generation onto your generation. <laughs> yeah. My dad was also born in the 50s, so yeah. <laughs> and I think that might be a uniquely British thing as well, mm. because mm. he, because Bond is so tied to Britain, I feel like for a lot of people that, that kind of, um, you know, sit down, lad, we're going to watch this kind of thing. Like in America, that's probably more Star Wars and stuff like that. You know, Indiana the Jones or something. Indiana Jones, yeah, a few kind of different things. Whereas Bond has a very specific flavour to it, and I think you know it's as we'll get into. It's so tied into kind of British identity and where we are, you know, and where we what we've gone through, kind of post World War Two. Um, sure. And that I say that that not having been my experience at all because my dad basically doesn't watch films. So, <laughs> And yet here um, you are making a film podcast, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> you bastard. Um, I think it's, it, it, it's probably worth doing this, and it's very, very unlikely, but it's worth covering just in case because this is an incredibly successful franchise. Uh, it has survived so many iterations, but not just iterations of... One of the highest grossing, yeah. longest running film franchises ever. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and and not just in the sense of like what its content is, but also its its reach and application. It hasn't really needed to evolve much at all. It's kind of punching out the same thing. So for, for argument's sake, um, for anyone who has never seen a Bond film, God, there um, are people that have, yeah, that's weird, isn't it? There will always be something. There will always we're, be something. Especially gonna, considering get tweets. <laughs> yeah, especially considering um, it is very heavily, heavily geared to a very specific type of person. And that is usually, for lack of a better word, us. <laughs> um, a white dude. White English man. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, we'll get back to why Americans identify with as well in a minute. But um, yeah, so James Bond um, is a uh, British secret agent, espionage. Um, and he operates in the 60s as Sean Connery in the role and also Lazenby. And um, then in the 70s and early 80s as uh, as Roger Moore performing the role and he is an agent of the British government specific body of of the British government called MI6 MI5 is internal MI6 is external and he just goes around and does cool shit it's based on novels by Ian Fleming who indeed was involved with stuff with uh, Roald Dahl and Christopher Lee and other people and shit like that and he was saying that he, James Bond is an amalgamation of all these people he's known in the naval days and in his army in the days of World War 2 and stuff and um, then named after like a famous ornithologist or something like that. Yeah, like, <laughs> because he wanted a dull name. Yeah, yeah, he wanted James Bond to be able to blend in, so he just gave yes. him the most boring name possible: Bond, James Bond. I think the name he was like he could have an excited name like Peregrine Carruthers. I thought, what the fuck, <laughs> Peregrine Carruthers? I mean, sign me up for Carruthers, Peregrine yeah. Carruthers. <laughs> and um, there's a famous sort of 
Fleming quote, which is exotic things would happen to him and around him, but he would be a neutral figure and uh, an anonymous blunt on instrument wielded by a government. And that is arguably very important and very interesting because while Bond is a very, he's a, he's a rogue, he's a rebel, he's a rapscallion, this is stuff, he very much is the, the, the wielded arm of the government, the British government. And until you get to this sort of, um, the, basically part two of what we're doing here, the Dalton, uh, Brosnan and Craig stuff, he never really looks back on his thing. So he is very much tied into Britain and our actions and so on and so forth. So in terms of what he does, he goes around, he spies on people, he sleeps with people, he has a lot of catchphrases, which we will come back to listing all the requirements, the tick box of what it means to be a Bond <laughs> film. Um, and he has cool stuff and it's a, it's a fantasy, basically. It's a, it's, a, it's a sort of an idealized version of what it must mean to go around the world and do cool shit. Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating, especially to look at it as a franchise, because Bond essentially, especially in the eras that we're looking at, doesn't change and doesn't have character arcs. Um, mm -hmm. Like, the cl like m more modern day films have done more to give him, try and give him character arcs, but even up to arguably Pierce Brosnan, like, Bond didn't, evolve as a character that that was almost the point of him he did not change yes. like you say he's this neutral figure although you know neutral is in scare quotes yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he is a figure who enters situations and investigates them and resolves them and is very deliberately because he is you know he, he is characterized as a spy with a certain detached sense of morality mm -hmm. these things do not affect him um, and it's interesting that if we look at Lazenby, when among the things that obviously it was the first time that Bond had been played by a different actor, but they mm. also tried to have him get married, which is like a significant character change. Um, yeah, yeah, and didn't last. Obviously, um, it's it's <laughs> done. Didn't last the, till the end of the film either. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't last uh, barely twenty minutes, but um, <laughs> it's. That was, you know, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that feels like the first time they actually tried to make Bond's personal life part of the experience of seeing the film, you know. Essentially, yes. And also, more importantly, it was one of the last times as well, because Lays and, and that's the thing, On a Majesty's Secret Service is a very good film. However, because it wasn't what came before, a lot of people bucked it and didn't like it. It's only when you came back later that you realise there's so many things in there that are really strong and really good. Lazenby did fine. He did perfectly fine as, as Bond. But he was different. And there was too much that was different for people. And as Tim pointed out, they moved the character on in terms of an arc. People weren't overly comfortable with that. Uh, 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 I imagine Secret Service has one of the best endings. Um, we'll definitely come back to that one in a minute. But you're right. The, these three individuals and the multiple movies they cover, there is very, very minimal development. And while that would be in any other in any other franchise, an incredible detriment. It would be such a weak point and a, uh, to 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 have this guy that doesn't evolve. In a way, it makes them work perfectly. That's why Brosnan thinks that it had to change because it couldn't keep the franchise alive otherwise. And again, not to skip ahead too far, but that's something they address in some of the Daniel Craig ones. They do the like, yes, you're a relic yes. of an old age, James, and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. You're, you're mm -hmm. old and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, at some point you're going to need somebody to point a gun at something and that somebody's going to be me. 
and that kind of thing where it's like the yep. and a lot of you've had the kind of like dynamics between Q and Bond and we'll we'll get to Q because oh Q is so good. He's so good. <laughs> but get that dynamic between Bond and Q where you have like the the old classic I just need a a gun and to punch a few blokes and I'll solve the problem compared to I need an order and a direction. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. Like you said, the blunt instrument pointed in the right direction by the British government kind mm. of thing. Whereas Q is like, ah, but you could go invisible and do this thing with your watch and make these things explode, <laughs> Bond, and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And it you you get that throughout pretty much the entire history of Bond is him kind of working out whether he wants to use gadgets or doesn't want to use gadgets. And, and different Bonds play that in different ways and some of them are a bit more gadget heavy. Fuck you, die another day with your invisible car. I hate you. <laughs> but you get that kind of dynamic. And I think the early Bonds are so... Like, his relationship with Q and those little moments, that little iconic, oh, what are you going to blow up next, Bond? Kind of bring it back in one piece and all that kind of stuff is are the mm. moments that really stick out in my mind from watching the early ones and having that little thing and not realising kind of the ramifications of like, oh, it's a commentary on how it turns into like cold war commentary later on as we'll get onto and stuff like that but i just took it as like oh it's a funny little quippy thing and that's a as we said that's a thing that's been parodied to hell as well as having the, the the gadget guy be there and be like oh god working with this you know brute <laughs> of an agent who i have to deal with and that's now become mm -hmm. the trope as well but yeah kind of establishing that trope was so I don't know, not really integral, but like really stuck out in my mind when they did that and having that dynamic between technology and, and blunt force has always mm. kind of ran through as a theme for me throughout all of them. Once yeah. I realized it was once I kind of came into consciousness of aware of what that was, it's always kind of run through as a theme, regardless of who's playing Bond and who's playing Q over the years. I think it's interesting that in a lot of ways, Bond uh, harks back to another kind of icon of British literature who has been adapted many, many times, and that's Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, Where, absolutely. again, the, most people until recently didn't want to see characterization and character growth for Sherlock Holmes. They wanted him to come into this interesting mystery, have a nose around and <laughs> solve it, you know, yeah. and and uh, in a similar way that the the characters who surround home slash bond are often the closest we get like his, his dynamics with them are the closest we get to any kind of character growth in the film so whether it's you know holmes and watson or mm. mrs hudson which yeah. who, in a in a in some ways you can kind of compare her and money penny um oh yeah interesting in, in how they act um and you know you could kind of call q the watson to to, to a degree, he's a regular. A it's, it, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's interesting that both of those, um, the kind of the templates for those stories, hue very close to each other, and they're both things that are seen as quintessentially British to have mm, this kind of true. stiff upper lip and uh, a person who just, oh, I just come in here and sort it all out, and you're all being, you know, rather silly, and I'm just going to, you know, do look at this mantelpiece and work it all out or, you know, push this man into a printing press and say a joke about it, how he dies. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it is an insulting attitude of, well, it's all very elementary. It's all very logical <laughs> and a bit, a, bit, a bit of common sense and you'd have seen it through it. I mean, there's a man there and uh, he's in a, he's fallen in a bath and I'm just going to throw something in and electrocute him. 
Obviously. <laughs> Come on now. Don't be silly. And that's I mean, the oh. first the first James Bond film is Doctor No, where they have a bunch of locals who are terrified about a like a monster, and it yes. turns out that it's Doctor No's tank, you know. And there's there's Those. a yeah, there's a uh. that's that's almost like Hound of the Baskervilles type territory of like yeah, very much absolutely. you foolish locals, tisn't a tisn't a ghostly hound, tis simply a big dog. <laughs> and I want to go away for it too. It wasn't for you meddling kids, <laughs> meddling British people, <laughs> meddling secret agents. <laughs> well, I mean, that literally what they do is they meddle, yeah. yeah. We should talk about tropes, um, because you, you've kind of nailed it there. There are certain things that Britishisms, shall we say, that the series have evolved to adopt. It's like, you have to have these things. So just as a nice little quick fire for us, and we're going to try and do a, not necessarily a game, but a thing here. We're going to go round table. So me, Jack, Tim, me, Jack, Tim, me, Jack, Tim. Naming a Bond thing Ooh. that you have to have to make it a Bond film. Oh. Isn't, I don't know, we can be a bit tenuous. And no repeats so until you're out. <laughs> no repeats and you're out. Okay, let's see if we can do this. Okay. My God. Um, do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay, okay. and then who's after you? Uh, let's say Jack. Okay. Sure. And we'll, we'll say we'll keep it relatively loose, I think. So I'm going to open with Bond Girl. It's a very broad term, but there'll be a female support, m- multiple female mm. supports usually, one which has actual lines in dialogue and impact on the script, one which is there to be seduced only. Oh. That's the only reason she is there. She could be a maid. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so basically uh, a Bond girl. That's the thing you have to have in order to make it a Bond film, apparently. I mean, I mentioned it. Q. And Q? The, the mm-hmm. Bond-Q dynamic. The Q, Q branch, certainly. The Q branch. He's not, in, yeah, he's not, not just in the man the, Q, but the, the Q yeah, branch. He's not yeah. in Casino Royale or, or, or Chronosols, but the, the, the gadgetry is there, certainly, yeah. Mm. Uh, exotic locales. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Jet setting mindset. Uh, M, having a boss. He's not just a free agent. He is given orders specifically by M. Interesting. I feel like the villains always have a gimmick. Well, I don't know how to word that. <laughs> You've got he, he, just villain, he, yeah, he, yeah. Uh, iconic, silly villains. Comic book villains. They cry blood and have golden guns and all this bullshit. And it's like <laughs> mm. they always have like some random silly little gimmick. Mm-hmm. Wealth, essentially. Mm. Uh, the the, yeah. the places that he interacts with are largely luxurious. Uh, they are fancy hotels. They are casinos. They are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, incredible buildings and Fort Knox at one point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he, he's never out of his depth. He's never fish out of water. Like, oh, I don't know how to handle myself in this situation. It's like, yeah, he mm. does because he's got money. Um, cars. He has to have a special fancy car every time. And I don't mean just literally an Aston Martin thing. He has to be very... the old Aston Martin again. It's more that money thing again. It's like, it's a fancy-ass car. Mm. The one you love, Matt. The one-liners. The puns. Fuck off. Shocking. (laughs) Shocking. Chucks him in a bath and electrocutes him. Oh, sorry, he had to... He didn't have a ticket. And he throws him off a train and all that. (laughs) Oh, God. It's It's Indiana Jones. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very much so, yeah. Um, not not a feature of the stories themselves, but of the films. And to hark back to uh, our Patreon special sure. that we've just done, uh, opening title sequences uh, with with an iconic yes. song. Mm, yeah. Of course, very true, very true. Yeah, the, the the song is a thing that certainly stands out for me in terms of like I, I might not remember which what happened. As you said, they all kind of blur together because I saw them when I was so young. But I know which one is which from its song. 
usually because <laughs> they're like title of the film <laughs> and to be fair not not to jump ahead but like they always say the title of the fucking film as well. <laughs> well he really uh really beat the living daylights out of him like fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> really really yeah, he went for that one okay sure yeah yeah um so, uh, mm, i might already be taking the piss a little too much but um from certainly from more era onwards very strong product placement. Oh yeah. I think the first product placement on film was in fact KFC really? in Living Let Yeah, in Living Let Die. Wow. Um where it's intentionally shot in the background sort of thing. And then obviously you got like we're now going to film this watch this Omega watch that the Dan Craig has. The shot needs to last contractually for 9 seconds. You're like, "Have you ever counted 9 seconds?" And he has That's a long shot of a watch doing nothing. And he has <laughs> to hold his phone up and be like, "Oh yeah, so let me just log on using my Sony Xperia Mark 25, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Dated immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, to, to spin off the one-liners, the, the quote, the Bond, James Bond, and the shaken, oh, the not catch stirred, phrases the catchphrases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cat, that's the word I'm looking for, catchphrases. Mm. I think he kind of, not necessarily, again, not initially invented that, but made mm. it seep, and especially in British pop culture, that those couple yeah. of quotes you hear just spun out into every possible crevice of pop culture ever since. I kind of mentioned it already, but uh, gambling um, features mm, in yeah, so many. Obviously, uh, obviously like, yeah, mm. ca- Casino Royale, you know, obviously focuses on a poker game. But uh, yeah, Baccarat and, you know, various scenes at casinos and stuff like that seem to crop up in like every other James Bond film. There's always like a mm. often like illegal things. So you got the like scorpion thing with Daniel Craig. <laughs> he, there's like a Komodo oh, dragon yeah. fight happening in Macau at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, sure, fuck it, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say supporting characters because they change sometimes. But the two key ones are Money Penny and Felix Leiter. Good old Felix Leiter. Yeah. Um. Kind of rounding out most of them. Yeah. I think. I I'm including like gadgets under back. the Q branch there. Like that's all under one thing. Yeah. I think there's only one thing. Well, uh, one thing I think we've missed off. Misogyny. Really. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> strange enough, I, I mentioned Bond girls, but just sex. If I'm honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. Sex. I mean, I don't mean impossibly stupid character names. As always, yeah. Because again, you have to remember there's a, there is a checkpoint in your mind because if you if you didn't see half of these things. I mean, obviously, we we've messed up the big one. Really lavish and thrilling action sequences, mm. because that that is one of the things that actually, let's face it, sells these movies: car it's, chases it's got, and boat chases and yeah, stuff. Like, yeah, exactly. Monologuing bad guys leading into car chases lead to another monologuing bad guy into a car chase and a sex scene. That they, they are quite formulaic in nature, and that's fine. They 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 can be, and that's part of their success because they are at the end of the day. A 12A action slash comedy kind of thriller. They're they're just an all round fast and furious kind of thing going on. <laughs> um, it's but it has the pretense of a lot of stuff going underneath because it's an adaptation of a of a a thing being dragged from the sixties. Um, so the purpose of doing that basically is hopefully now everyone kinds of you know people are like oh no the the frustrated listeners now are thinking. You've missed these five really key important ones. Oh, I'm sure like, there's yeah, some huge Bond fans did. that will call us out. <laughs> what about the Walter PPK? And you're like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a valid point. Yeah. Um, 
but yes, so there are all these things that you are going through. And that's the point. People aren't necessarily what we'll definitely come back to this probably in the MCU uh, thing with, for, for our uh, discussions, but these aren't things that people go, oh, fuck it. I mean, you obviously you do get the parody eventually. People going, oh my God, it's an eye rolling moment. He has to do this. But it's almost surprising, like in Casino, again, I don't want to talk about it too much yet, but Casino Royale ex uh, subverting expectations of like, would you like your martini shaken or stir stirred, sir? It's like, do I like, I give a damn. It's like, oh, oh, but that's not what he's supposed to say. Expectations are, he's yeah. supposed to say shaken, not stirred, mm, well, yeah. because that's how you ruin a martini. Um, <laughs> but Coming from um, fucking Archers and Coke over there. <laughs> hey, I, 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 know, I know about alcohol, I just don't... Uh, well, no, it was a character I was playing. So uh -huh. that's the yeah. Stockton, Stockton, uh, Matthew Stockton drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Stockton, Matthew Stockton. I'll call it a Vespa. Uh, what is it? What's it? Archers. Okay, uh, what do you do with that, then, sir? Ken. Put a Coke in it, right? <laughs> and you have to deliver it that's like it. you did on the thing, like uh, Archers and do you have Archers and, and Coke. Coke. Yes. Well, yes, we do. That. that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So to, to, to give a bit of background as well, because we should sort of uh, start covering some really heavy themes here. Before we do, though, I think it's fair to say we enjoy the spectacle of Bond. We've grown up with it. We watch a new Bond film and go, this will be interesting. It might be good. And you watch it and it could be very entertaining, very good. I mean, I still maintain that although there's obviously more and more and more and countless of these things being produced, a new Bond film can still make me go, damn, that was good. I actually enjoyed mm. that a lot. When they are good, they tend to be very good. Um, Precisely. They tend to be some of the best action out there, you know, because, yeah. and especially nowadays, because they are, even though the degree to which they're rooted in reality is arguable when you get to things like invisible cars and so on and so forth, uh, I think, yeah. especially with Craig, uh, they tend to be, the CGI in those films tends to be invisible rather than like laser beams and giant robot stuff uh and rather than you know um mm -hmm. it's it's so there is a sense of reality to most of those films uh and yeah. that is increasingly rare nowadays in action films true and i think it's when the studio starts to give up on it a little bit then you know it's flagging that's when you see the end of a bond era basically um trying to gauge the public and what they can what they want what they're after and the shifting ta ta yeah. uh, uh, trends of um, cinema hence Moonraker um, <laughs> um, and then you also have things where they're, they're just basically giving it tons of money and support so of course it'll be cool because you've got the best action team the best stunt team the best visual effects teams why wouldn't it be the most amazing action thing you've ever fucking seen in your life and then eventually you start courting <laughs> really really good directors so I do worry that on whoever our next Bond is, they're basically going to be like, okay, new era of Bond. You know, here's this great actor, but we're essentially treating them like superhero films now. I yeah. feel that's an inevitability, I think. Everything is a super... I mean, the fucking Fast and Furious franchise is a superhero. Hobbs and Shaw so. went down that road so yeah. fast. They are often better superhero films than some other <laughs> films out there. That's about people so who steal DVD players. A different time. <laughs> DVD yeah. players and trucks. That's that what they're is, doing. That is almost ex like you can't tell me that if you go back to like Avengers number four in 1963, that like they wouldn't oh. have like the the Avengers trying to track down some some hijackers who've stolen a box of 
whatever. Spanners. <laughs> yeah. But they're special space spanners. Yeah, that sounds about right. To give a bit of Britishisms here for you. Um, oh, here we go. Bond is born out of... Not Jason Bourne, obviously. Bond is born out <laughs> of uh, 1950s semi-pulp sort of novels. Um, they were taking themselves quite seriously. They weren't as pulpy as they could have been, but they got a bit of notoriety because certain people in America liked them and they, they sold well. And then, of course, they're being adapted for cinema. That was an inevitability. Um, and then from then, they became very, very, very successful very quickly. Um, Although they didn't film them necessarily in the order the books went Casino Royale first, it went with Doctor No because they decided it was a big, more entertaining story, etc. Um, more lavish set pieces, yada yada. But Bond Abroad is a thing we need to cover because, as, as Tim mentioned, exotic locations and locales. He is an English bloke. He is literally a white bloke. Or Scottish. My apologies, <laughs> but the character's English. Um, actually, no, the character's character also Scottish. Scottish. Well, fuck. Um, point is, this character, this individual, is a Britishman from this, these here there British we go, Isles. There we go. He's very British. Yeah, from the Britannic Isles. Um, and he is not always covered in the canon, but later it is about him, him being orphaned mm. and taken in by the state, and therefore he is very loyal to this country. This country is his identity. He doesn't talk about the politics of the government and the queen, but he's always on Her Majesty's Secret Service. He's always, you know, the agent, the hand, unseen. And he goes to all kinds of interesting, exotic foreign lands where he doesn't blend the fuck in. <laughs> and it's like, I get it when you're like, you know, if you're trying to get into Russia and you speak Russian perfectly or, or uh, you know, Eastern, um, East Germany or something. But it's like, where are you going? I'm going to the Caribbean. It's like, right. Okay. I'm infiltrating um, this whole group. I, I don't think you are in your yeah, fucking yeah. tux. I mean, I think there's there's two strands there. One of which is, you know, there's there's all the jokes about how James Bond is actually a terrible spy because he's always giving his name away, et cetera, et cetera. Fair, fair. Um, and Unless it's a code name, Tim. What if it's a code what name? What if it's a code oh, name? It's so clever. Uh, it's not. Still not, it's still not, not smart because they still know it. Yeah. Yeah, his, his code <laughs> is 007. We know that. That's another trope. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it, in part it is a fantasy, and like you say, it comes from books in the fifties when England had just been through uh, a war. Obviously, lots of countries mm. had just been through the World War Two, <laughs> but but we had been bombed. You know, we had had our resources kind of um, you know spent mm. on on war. You know, they were still rationing yeah. in places, um, and it is in a lot of ways it's a kind of fantasy for. Britons of that time to be able to jet all over the world and you know enjoy these these kind of exotic locales mm. it also kind of speaks to british imperialism where it's like well a british man is is home wherever he goes if we go to the caribbean well we own that so that's fine if we go to <laughs> india we've owned that like you know there's that map yeah. of you know there, there's what the seven countries in the world that haven't actually been in in a war with britain um, yep. or invaded yeah. by britain um you know, and it's born of a certain kind of British arrogance that we can wander wherever we go and we'll be at home there and treated wonderfully and, you know, book into the finest hotels where we'll be treated reverentially by the, the staff who are probably a great deal browner than we are. You and know, they're all very happy to welcome us. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's kind of a dual level of fantasy. Oh, definitely. And I think, uh, especially considering people might have served abroad in the 40s, obviously, 
and seen some of the world in some capacity, but not in this lavish capacity. Mm. And in the 50s, you had the Suez Canal crisis. So the country was really, for lack of a better word, on its fucking ass. People forget this about the 50s in Britain. It was really, I mean, obviously, when we have to talk about the 50s, we conflate that with America, with the white picket fence and all the things going on in America at the time. We forget the British 50s, very different, uh, very poor. Um, but you wouldn't talk about it or think about it because there's the classic also British mindset of, well, we wouldn't like to talk about it. We all had a good time together. We all rallied. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yes, that, that, that mindset. And there's an old Jack D sort of bit about an Englishman abroad, um, which is that uh, a passport is not for looking at. It's for slapping officials aside. You don't need to see what's inside it. You just need to know it's British. Let me through. Um, and it's like, that is the attitude that people have uh, a lot of the times. Um, but um, it, it, it's very interesting that the plot seems to be divided, not necessarily in two, because some films have it where he goes to two of these locales. Mm. One is either the nature of communism, because again, the Cold War is bubbling. It's mm. there. There's lots of going on with the communists. So it's damn, damn commies. Um, which again, immediately, immediately gets the American audience on board. It's not like the other. It's not some weird British guy going around the world. It's like, he's one of us. Mm -hmm. He's one of our boys. Because he's, let's, unfortunately, let's face it, a white dude who speaks English. <laughs> yeah. and therefore, And he's killing he's the Russians. Hero. And he's killing the Russians. Therefore, he's my guy. He punched that German lady in the face. Fuck, I love this guy. He's sleeping with all the people. Yeah, I wish I was him too. I mean, he's British, but he's, you know, he's a cool <laughs> one. Um, but equally, the other subplots will be like, what's happening? Well, there's, um, there's a rise of insurgencies. There's someone you need to go track bond. There's been some sort of um, rumblings in the middle of this place. Oh, where is that? Uh, well, somewhere in Asia or somewhere in India or somewhere in the Caribbean. It's like, right, that, that sounds like those rumblings you're talking about is probably going to be independence at some point. Uh, yeah. How... how uh, <laughs> And then that's the nature of what spying and espionage is. Mm. You're going in to stop that from happening. I don't know if America could produce the same thing where it's a CIA agent going abroad torturing people because the equivalent they have is Jack Bauer. Yeah. <laughs> not even like Jason Bourne. <laughs> and he has, he, he's not like Bond, which would talking about the nature of this, um, this blunt instrument. Bond doesn't necessarily care about the politics, at least not in this era. Mm. He's just doing what he's told. Yeah. Jack Bauer does. He thinks he's the right. He's, he, he has an opinion. He has that individualistic mindset, whereas Bond doesn't. Um, so yes, it's the, he'll travel aboard, mess around with, again, the classic British imperial mindset, mess around with the, the, the local infrastructure, um, defile everybody and everything, kill a couple of people, fuck it, it doesn't matter. And you know what? My suit better be damn pressed in the morning. <laughs> and uh, then back to England, I guess, and I'll teach Money Penny a, a thing or two about flirting. <laughs> What's my next mission? Um, while that's sort of under the very fantastical umbrella of uh, the, the the fantasy explorer, the adventurer, an extension of that that early, equally imperial mindset of like you know the adventurer in the Congo with a machete hacking things mm, down. He's a brave Alan Quatermain's kind of thing. Precisely. Or Alan's Quatermain, perhaps. Alan's. <laughs> nice. Um, it's it's just enforcing that mindset again, just enforcing the idea of, in you know, traditional imperialism and 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 British control. And I'm not saying that these are inherently intentional things; they're just a byproduct of what this thing is, and the mindsets of the time. And the longer you try and keep that flame alive, the longer you try and reinforce. That's why, for example, as I say, when we get to the second part, 
all that kind of had to not necessarily go, but had to be reworked to make it palatable for the audience. And most of his dealings, if you go kind of through the films, and especially in the earlier dates, tend to be with, to, for want of a better phrase, kind of ex-imperial holdings. You know, there's oh, yeah. a lot of, you know, uh, Hong Kong and sort of various places around the world where Britain would have had a vested interest. And he tends to stay out of the way of, there's very, it feels like there's very little until recently set in South America, for example, because, you know, throughout the 60s and 70s and 80s, were a lot of coups happening there that were supported by, you know, uh, the American government and our own government yeah, and stuff definitely. like that. Yeah. Um, so it kind of avoided looking too much at that. And that's become kind of freed up a bit more lately. There is an almost um, interesting line, shall we say, where Bond doesn't go to places where we may actually be spying at that point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the India stuff doesn't really come up until Octopussy. Mm. Fuck that movie. Um, I mean, obviously there are there are samples of me like, oh, he's in Reykjavik for like five minutes. It's like that doesn't count. Like, so mm. you know that kind of thing. There are many many locations, but. Mm. Um, yeah, it it is it is quite telling and quite interesting. Um, that, he, for example, you talking about the early sixties doesn't go to Korea because Korea is still very sore. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't go anywhere. Near, um, the closer they get to to Asia, for example, it's not Vietnam. It's not that area, for example. Cuba that ain't touched. Um, mm. it's the Caribbean, you know, you get all yeah. these various places. Um, and. The only example of that I think there's opposite is, is Russia, because yeah, it's the the, the Cold yeah. War is the acceptable place to stick him in somewhere mm. that is still kind of active, so to speak. Precisely, yeah. Um, the, behind the Iron Curtain is fine. Other places where we're making actual genuine, um, again, like in the sixties, I don't think they covered uh, India at all because the independent stuff was a uh, basically really bad, and British people don't yeah. learn about <laughs> it, but it was really, really goddamn bad. Um, but even even if he does like even have like a moment where he's in like I don't know like oh he briefly stops off in certain places or oh did you know uh, our job is South Korea or some something like it acknowledges a worldliness a globalization in a in a capacity it's trying to show you that the world is uh, a, a more a smaller place but also interestingly a more dangerous place <laughs> that's why you need people like Bond in it who you know you might go on holiday to Scrappy. Or you might go on holiday to maybe the south of France, but you'd never go on holiday to these places because they're dangerous. Only James Bond is brave enough to go there. I'm like, right, sure. Um, I mean, for example, Africa is a really interesting thing Bond almost never covers. Um, uh, south Africa, especially things like that. But uh, again, and until deal with, like child soldiers and warlords and stuff. Yeah, un until the the Craig era starts addressing things. Um, yeah, so. It's in, it's it, being being a man of the world. Let's just let's, let's cover that for a second. Bond himself is a weird one because he he is, for lack of a better word, the, uh, the contemporary con, shall we say, because uh, there are currently a lot of individuals who are under the impression that their best friends, shall we say, um, in high places, people they want in charge, people making decisions, are just like them. The electable policy of probably anti-intellectualism, but fuck it. Um, the mindset of oh, he's 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 a guy like me. He's a man in the street. He's an everyman. 
and someone I can have a beer with. Falls. That's that's the phrase, Tim. That's the fucking electable phrase. You could have a beer with him. The Hamilton lyric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the point. It's 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 bullshit. It's always been bullshit. And Bond is a man of the world because he's travelled so extensively. He knows so much, and he is so very, very, very educated. As you know, he, he knows languages. He knows etiquette. He knows um, his way around things. He knows also practical things like engineering and so on and so forth. But to a degree, he's not like. Uh, mentioned that force and finesse thing earlier. He can't program anything. He can't construct or build anything. <laughs> He's better at destroying things, but he could also probably fix a car. And that makes him arguably like the everyday working man. Except Bond is a toff through and fucking through. But it's based <laughs> on a very, a very British thing, which again is, I think, a very American exceptionalism sort of thing, um, which is like with the royal family mindset, the idea that you can aspire to being above your station even though everything about society is to keep you in your fucking place. Um, so, so Bond is perfectly uh, a perfect aspirational everyman material for the target audience, i.e. You know, white men in England or, or white men in the West, because he's effectively got all the, uh, what's the word, all the training, all the, all the societal nods. In, you know, he's a military man. He's got his rank as, of Commander Bond. He's got his... Um, various suits and his taste and his uh understanding of of fancy foods and cocktails and he can order not be like oh fuck i've never had this before i better just down this vermouth and make a face when it's really too smoky for me um it's like oh no no he knows what he's doing he's a very he's he fits in everywhere basically it's like yeah it's called money and education um and privilege most importantly <laughs> but because he has this defiant attitude strangely not against the institution that put him in there in the first place but defiant nonetheless everyone's like yeah but he does he bucks it he doesn't like it it doesn't sit well with him he doesn't suit him so he's like i'm wearing this suit but it's not me it's like fuck off it's the mindset <laughs> of why you can't have tom hardy as bond basically he doesn't fit it in theory that also echoes in echoes in his relationship with q in that q is the Very intellectual so. like i can make computers and gadgets and all this kind of stuff and bond is like yeah yeah whatever but can you do a real man's job you know i mean and we're <laughs> in this culture at the moment of like questioning the expert and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. oh don't trust your doctors don't trust the astronomers don't trust the meteorologists don't yeah we've had enough of experts and unfortunately for better or worse bond kind of reiterates that and th they do kind of reinforce that stereotype on purpose in certain ways like we said with the the more recent stuff kind of addresses that more directly in that this could be a negative thing you need to get with the times you need to be aware and yeah yeah again not to go too far but when the the most modern cue ben wishaw does the whole like i could do more sat in my pants than you can with an entire yeah. <laughs> weekend in blah blah, blah yes. whatever the phrase yes. is i can't remember what it is but yeah, like in an age of hacking and all this kind of stuff, you need to get with the times. And Bond has always stood against that kind of modernism. I'm, I'm yeah. a real man's man who can, yeah, chop logs and fix cars and shag women and sh shoot bad guys. I, I can drive and fly anything you put in front of me and all this kind of stuff. It's like, you know, the kind of people who can drive and fly anything you put in front of them? Toffs, <laughs> yeah. people that have like flight pilots licenses and stuff like that. It is, it is literally a case of like, yeah, well, you may be smart and you may be able to build things from scratch and you may know computers and hacking and you may be, you may be smarter than me, but you know what? I fuck. And it's like, is that all you have? Is that literally all you and have? And a gun. 
I've got my penis and a gun. Yeah. What more does I could a man I can punch mean? you in the face. It's like, that sounds like caveman talk. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's interesting because I don't think he's, it's, it's not, just the kind of reductive model of masculinity of like I chop wood and you know build tractor kind of thing and no. and <laughs> fight wolf um it's it's very much it's tied into like we said been saying like british class stuff it, oh, it yes. is he yeah. is he is the model of what kind of an upper class person should be in the sense of you know he's someone who you know and you know this again is is jumping to modern bond you know we literally see him at Skyfall, which is his family estate, you know, it's the sense that, yes, he can probably stroll around, you know, uh, the family estate and, you know, yeah, chop his firewood and, you know, fix the fix the generator and that kind of stuff. But he's equally at home at a reception for, you know, the Duchess of wherever. Um, and it's it is a very uh, archaic kind of bond is, I believe, and like um knight technically i'm trying to yeah, think, think if knighted. he's got like an obe or something in in fiction or whatever sean connery definitely is well yes <laughs> yes yeah. the actors um, certainly but the character so, yes. i think yes but it but it, 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 in a way you can kind of trace that line back to that sense of like arthurian you know chivalry and nobility mm. where it's you know protectors uh, of the realm yeah exactly yeah he is someone who is both capable when it comes to you know the fighting and the physicality of that kind of thing but he's also able to operate in realms of power without you know embarrassing himself you know there's like we said so many times you know he he is someone who always you can put him in any situation and he'll thrive um and that kind of adaptability is kind of the the thing that is the foremost sort of trait that he is uh, an exemplar for it's interesting that Bond has no aspirations for power. He mm. doesn't actually seek it out. He doesn't want to get ahead. He doesn't want to succeed. He doesn't really, seemingly, want anything until Lazenby. <laughs> Lazenby's the only one that does want something. He wants to get married to fucking Diana Rigg. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's fascinating that you have this char character of complete control and power. And again, we're going to come back to this time and time again. It speaks to Britishisms. It speaks to the nature of, I am what my country needs of me. It's like, oh, get off your fucking horse. <laughs> you want something, you just don't know what it is, you fucking... Again, the tough mindset. It's like, um, I'm a bit bored. Should I be, should I be in charge of a newspaper or, or a government minister? Or maybe I should just run a country Why not both? Oh, no, 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 fuck, I'll do that. I'll do both, I'll do both. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's the same thing with Bond, except he's just a bit lazy if i'm honest he just likes his his simple pleasures his food and his martinis and his women mm. and it weirdly it almost goes back to a kind of world war one thing where we had so many mm. uh you know you had all the people dying in the trenches who were recruited from everywhere and then oh, you had the commanders yes. who were these people of the upper crust who were just assumed that they would have the capability to run you know, a platoon of people because, well, you're yeah. that's what the breeding is for, isn't it? And in in a lot of ways, Bond is like, if that was actually true, you know, it, it's sort of like, oh yes, well, you know, he's been to Eton and he's been to, you know, wherever uh, that he's been educated. Um, and so, you know, we can drop him into any situation and he'll adapt and he'll rise just like a, you know, a, a, a white British man should. Um, <laughs> like cream. <laughs> yes. Um, Thick and white I and... Think Gloopy. 
I, I think it is very telling because you, we talk about like the, him being adaptable and him being this. Um, oh, I'm able to just uh, just wing it through all situations. It's like yeah, that the writers put him in. I've yeah. never seen him have to go into a. I mean, again, there are certain countries and certain uh, groups, and that he has no need to go near at all. And eventually, it will always go back to his comfort zone. Now that is true because at the end of the day, when you're talking about big world-changing espionage, it always ends up in those kind of rooms. It's always in yeah. those kind of rooms of power. But I mean, in the terms of the films here, there aren't a lot of examples where he actually has to mingle with poor people very often. And if he is, it's almost always um, with the sense of, my God, what's happening here? Gypsies are fighting. That's rough. <laughs> 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 don't worry. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll we'll tear one of those tops and a knocker will come out and I'll have a look at it and go, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's like, what but, the fuck uh, is this? 20 pounds sterling on the redhead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't worry, whichever one wins, I'll give her a slap and she'll be mine like a horse. Because I'm used to horse racing. Um, and that is the thing, it becomes about property and, and, and uh, securing stuff. Um, this does lead us very, very neatly mm. to Bond's misogyny. Um, so we don't have the nature of the the self-aware stuff or the crit self-critical stuff of the layers. This is in terms of just Connery, Lazenby, and more. It's it's very much un unreconstructed Bond. <laughs> very much so, very much so. And Lazenby has one could argue less of it. He's undercover, he goes to this ski lodge, and there happen to be a lot of beautiful women there. But however, the woman he marries at the end of the thing, he still like batters the crap out of her at the start of the movie. He's still rough with her, and it's <laughs> it's not good, basically. But you say you know the classic response is product of the time. You're like, yeah, okay, moving on. It's still um, bad, then. Roger. <laughs> still bad, yeah, still bad. Then um, Roger Moore uh, becomes liquid filth, if you ask me. It becomes <laughs> so. So painfully, painfully. Um, it, okay, strange, strange analogy here, uh, or comparison, I should say. Um, we were talking about the uh, the censored lyrics to the Cardi B track, uh, Megan Thee Stallion, um, "Wet Ass Pussy," where it, which which is uh, censored to "Wet and Gushy," which is so much worse. Or <laughs> to bring it to the film terminology, which I bring up in the past, "Deliverance," the sweet piggy. All that stuff yeah. is the the TV safe version, and it was more creepy because it was like, oh, gets under your skin. Roger Moore's deliveries and his lines and things like that. Again, the, the the nature of the performances and how they shift. Connery is playing it and arguably defining the character. Lazenby's great because he's just straightforward doing the character as it's just a regular character with all the tropes, but kind of buried. I wouldn't say he's the, he also works against him as well because he's quite forgettable because of that. But Moore's personality is to be for lack of a better word, very slimy. And mm -hmm. I think it works in his favour because in the 70s, it kind of fit in with everything. Well, yeah, I mean, Britain in the 70s was a very odd place. Um, yeah. And, and I think more lines up entirely with that kind of British sense of humour that likes things like the carry-on films, which are very, very heavy so. on the innuendo. Yeah. And that kind of um, uh, sort of classic uh, sort of, coastal resort postcard thing of you know uh mm. 
the raunchy sort of end of raunch- the peer performance. Yeah, exactly, raunchy yeah. thing, which is very. It's interesting the way it kind of um, where like America can be quite over, overall speaking puritanical about these kind of things. Yeah, of course, of course, and. Yeah. Britain, we're more willing to discuss things, but we often treat it as though it's something silly and comic. Um, There's a classic old British phrase, which you've said to certain countries, they're like, what the fuck? And it's like, more tea, vicar. Yeah. Now, that's just a phrase. It could mean anything. It could be, sounds very innocent. But a lot of the time, there's a lot of innuendo behind it. And it's like, is it? I, I always thought it was just like just a regular thing because they're having a vicar over. No, it's because he's fucking them all, isn't he? It's like, what? Not in a sort of, you know, but it's the whole, this whole Randy <laughs> priest. And it's like, right. And not in the contemporary Randy priest mindset, which is like, you know, crimes. It's the whole like, oh, he's a repressed vicar. He could have a wife, but he's a bit stuck up. And ooh, under his cassock, it's like, oh, this is all, what, what is all this? And that transposed and reflected into the Bond films and things like that. I know that's a very big reductive sentence, but it's part of it. Well, well the tie nicely back into to Bond. I absolutely love the scene in For Your Eyes Only where it's like, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. That's putting it mildly, 007, and he, There's a Q. he rips his beard <laughs> off. It's, it's just a priest in disguise. Morty Q. No fucking reason. Yeah. Yeah. Morty Q doesn't quite work. Especially considering you have a film, as I said earlier, called Octopussy. I'm, What's that? It's my octopussy. It's so, it's so brazen. It's, it's like octopus. Okay. Octopussy. That's not a word. That's not even a thing. Even if you're like making it a thing in the film, it's like, well, what's it? Is it? A, is it a portmanteau of stuff? Yeah, octopus and pussy. And like, <laughs> oh, octogushy. That's the censored version. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we 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 point at more for this, and and he is obviously the 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 worst offender. But you know, you go Goldfinger, which is held up as kind of the iconic. You know, the the. Uh, um, the example, the er uh, example of Definitive Bond, you know, one, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's got a character called Pussy Galore in it, you know, and she, yes, he, he literally says, "Oh, I must be dreaming," you know. It's it it existed back when Connery was there, but Connery had a little bit more of a sharper edge to him, so it wasn't this it wasn't thing, de- yeah. delivered in the same kind of oily. I I, I think it's the camp twist. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's the campness that more brings to it. It's, very it's much a bit so. more much so. carry, and, and carry the, on bond rather than the, the wry smile that Connery had. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's much more of a raised eyebrow with more. It's 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 essentially looking to camera. He literally looks to camera a couple of times. Yeah. I can't believe it's come to this. There's a fucking pigeon double take. <laughs> In Moonraker, yeah. It's Moonraker. It's Moonraker. Yeah. There's a fucking pigeon double taking. Fucking hell's sake. Unbelievable. I think it's because it it knows it's stepping away from the more, shall we say, serious fare and more into the sort of rompish stuff. And that's that's fine because you can do that to to, it's 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 adaptation. It's it's Darwinism. It's staying. It's adapting to stay alive, basically. Um, But with Connery, there is an air of. I don't know. I think I think it's very much the personality of the actor as well coming across in the performance. But I think it's the case of I do worry about these women <laughs> because it's like with with more. It's like I'm going to seduce you, and then I'm going to go in the back, and I'm going to say something about a giant tool. Yes. You're like, what a fucking sleaze. But with Buck Connery, it's like, listen here, I'm going to have sex with you. It's like, fuck, all right. And it's just it's just but... just really quite firm. 
and that there's a lot of moments where those lines like out of context wouldn't make any sense. Roger Moore knows he's in a film. Yes. Where like like there's under no circumstances would a human being say that in mm. this context. And there are literal moments where like he will say a thing and the Bond girl laughs at him and like <laughs> Is she in on the joke? Does she know? Is Bond supposed to be oh, like James. a funny character? Or yeah. is Roger Moore being like so silly that he made the actress laugh? I can't even tell anymore. It's hard. To, the thing is, it didn't necessarily always start out that way because Moore's earlier stuff, The Man with the Golden Gun, Live and Let Die, less of it. The last one's fucking flooded. Mm. Absolutely flooded with it. And I think that I, I'm not going to really attribute this specifically, but let's talk about the rising trends. I think that might have given way to the whole one-liners Arnold Schwarzenegger 80s style thing I I was discussing this with Emma earlier and I said that mm -hmm. yeah I think Bond kind of inspired the 80s action hero <clears throat> the more you normalize it the more it becomes uh, interpret uh, imitated mm. yeah the, the thing that Schwarzenegger became known for so much in the 80s and then obviously span on from there and it's just less of the sexual stuff more of the like puns mm -hmm. like the stick around in Predator where he throws a thing and like or let off some steam gamble in Commando and stuff like that. It's like that pun-based one-liner is so ingrained in that kind of Schwarzenegger '80s action movie. Yeah, and I, I just looking looking back and I'm like flicking through some clips. I'm like, my God, this feels like '80s one-liner puns. <laughs> yeah, but this is definitely 1972 or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, it's I'm, I'm going to say this now for the audience who are sitting there grinding the teeth. We know it's let off some steam, Bennett. It's fine. Sorry. He's sorry. It. No, it no, doesn't matter. Moving on. <laughs> I'm writing in. In my... In, they will. Uh, and again, this could be me misremembering it. I feel like, yeah, there was there was a, a long spree of more that, where Bond almost became a comedy, uh, like an action yeah, comedy. Yeah, definitely. Yes, yes. Um, and I think that View to a Kill which was his final one, he kind mm. of tries to bring it back to a more straight-laced bond. I, I agree. And I think it's yes. both a combination of him being significant. Like, I think that's, apart from possibly Never Say Never, it might be the oldest Bond has ever been, but I don't, I don't want to say that for certain. It's a good point. Yeah, um, I think you're right. He, yeah. Like, he's considerably more Roger mature. Roger Moore is noticeably old. <laughs> yeah, at, at that point. And I think it is that kind of, when when bond he had it had been happening for so long that it had become parody worthy in its own right you know mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and so they felt the need and i think that you can see the roots of the dalton films which i think he was he was originally meant to take over for view to a kill he was yeah. yes um Dal and dalton was supposed to be brought in uh, for to replace um for, for um for on a majesty secret service yeah, but he was too young. Um, but yeah, and I Brosnan was supposed to do something that he he was supposed to come in earlier as well, but he wasn't as well. Mm -hmm. It was all this weird thing. Yeah, and then of course he did Remington Steel and that whole thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I think there's a there's a distinct tone shift there where for Moore's final film, you can see the the incoming trends of you know what would define the kind of late eighties and nineties in terms of yeah, uh, yeah. James Bond. Yeah, because it was. Was trying to push away from what was. I think that, I think View to a Kill is trying because it's very interesting to note. We talk about now, like we're used to these huge gaps where it's like Bond's gone away for a long time and then he's back. Whereas View to a Kill is eighty five, 
Living Daylight's 87. They they got him out fast. Mm. They did, yeah. Yeah. Um and, and it's still John Glenn directing like yeah. the the what five or six in a row that he did mm-hmm. from the end of Roger Moore all the way through both Dalton films as well. Yeah. But yeah, yeah there feels like there's such a massive gap between you know, the one that preceded View to a Kill is Octopussy. And those two films oh, could, could not feel no. more different, you know. It's it's as big as leap as as changing the actor would be almost. Mm, I think so. So talking of defining things, mm. here's where we uh, combine our little interseason discussion with some classic sequelizers goodness. Ooh. Let's talk about some Rotten Tomatoes, shall oh, we? Oh, wow. Ooh. This is my little game I was teasing for you guys. So from this era, from this era specifically, bear that in mind. The Connery to Moore and Lazenby. Connery, Lazenby, Moore. What do you believe is the highest rated and what do you believe is the lowest rated? With some guesses, please. Just two, just two films. That's all I ask. I'm not asking you to list all 12 of them or whatever it is, because that would be here all day. I'm going to say the highest is The Spy Who Loved Me Mm. with 88. I'm going to say the lowest Got to be Octopussy with 61. Okay. 88, 61. That's why I love me an Octopussy. Again, the nature of critics and how many there were at the time and so on and so forth. I know there were two things that were a success and they built and built and built and things and I'm mm. just having a guess. Fair enough. I'm going to say I think best is The Man with the Golden Gun. Ooh, Ooh okay. I love me some Christopher Lee. I'm going to say I'm going to say that gets 90. And I think sure. lowest is going to be Tim's fighting his own hatred of Moonraker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I think lowest is going to be on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, interesting. What percentage from Anna Manchester's? What's your um, percentage? Let's say uh, 65. Okay. So we never but think this, it goes that low. No one's going to say it's yeah, that bad. It's a bond for me. It's, it's so hard to predict because the mix of contemporary and yeah. modern day. There, there is, there, I did check. There is a fairly reasonable mix of contemporary. Oh, okay. That's going to scare like okay. re- Retroactive, reflective reviews and sure. at the time reviews as well. Um Especially for the 80s stuff, obviously less so for the 60s stuff. But all four of your guesses are completely off. <laughs> no, nowhere nowhere fucking near any of this stuff. So um, The Man with the Golden Gun, Tim, is but 43%. Ooh. And that... Wow! And that is not the lowest. Wow. I'm very... Well, the, the contemporary ones got me skewing that because... Oh, I don't, I I don't know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I assume so. Um, Very interesting. Then your, your, your beloved Moonraker, Tim, is 60%. <laughs> a, bit, a, bit high, a bit higher up that list. Um, I'll come back to the end, but let's just go through. Um, so uh, you went for The Spy Who Loved Me, Matt. I did. That is, that is number eight. in the, This is of all time, but I'm obviously going to filter all the other mm, ones sure, out. Sure, sure. It's the eighth of all time highest ranked at 79%, The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay. Uh, from Russia with Love, ninety five percent. Ninety five. I mean, from Russia with Love Doc, is actually a good. It's a spice it's, run. It's good. Yeah, I'm kicking on a train. Yeah, Doctor No, ninety five percent as well. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. What's 
Mm. You've also got the, uh, we'll, we'll get to this later on, obviously, in another episode, but Daniel Craig's Casino Royale, also 95%. And that is number two. <laughs> number one, with 99%. Could be Goldfinger, right? Goldfinger. Yeah. Oh, of course it is. They're wrong, obviously, but yeah. So the question is it's the lowest. The lowest. For your eyes only? With 37%. The only thing lower is the 67 Casino Royale <laughs> with David Niven and oh, Peter Sellers okay. and blah, 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 which is terrible. A View to a Kill. Wow. Fuck off. Yeah. No, no. And, and slightly above that is Octopussy. Octopussy at 40 is, is the next one on the list. Bollocks. But yeah. From 37% of View to a Kill to 99% with Goldfinger. That's mad. Ignoring Brosnan, ignoring Craig, ignoring you know everything else that happened after that, and Dalton and all that stuff. Just those three guys have a span of thirty-seven percent to ninety-nine percent. That's crazy. That's yeah. genuinely. Crazy. I thought that was particularly interesting. What's, so what's the highest more on there? Uh, let me have a quick scroll. What's the highest rated more? It is uh, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service is eighty percent. So. That's higher than all the Moors. Uh, Spy Who Loved Me with 79% is the highest from Roger Moore. Yeah. Above Goldeneye. Mm. Mm. Oh, I love some Goldeneye. Hey, okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do this one then for you. Um, okay. Sean Connery. Doctor yes. No from Rush With Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You and Live Twice, and Diamonds Are Forever. Ignore, say ignore Rotten Tomatoes. Ignore the critics. Okay. Personal opinion of what you would watch and what you would actually say, yeah, fuck it, well, that seems right. What do you think is the best one of those cool. of the Connery era? I have a uh, a soft spot for You Only Live Twice, even though it's super racist. racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I know what you mean, though. Yeah. But uh, I think From Russia with Love is a really, really good. It feels very different to a lot of other Bond. It feels it feels it does. It feels like Bond doing Bourne like forty years before Bourne came along. Yeah. In some ways. Um, I think that's because again, it was just still finding its legs and didn't know what they were doing with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um Yeah, I mean Goldfinger is very good. Um I think Thunderball is a bit overrated. Tim, we're gonna have words. Uh <laughs> I like Thunderball quite a lot. Thunderball's better than Goldfinger. Okay, let's I'll off. do mine out. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Thunderball's the best. Moving on. Wow. Of that lot, of that lot. Wow. Back to you guys. Back to you guys. <laughs> wow. For me, Shucks. for me, Thunderball just feels like them trying to do Goldfinger again, basically. That's not. That's not unreasonable. That's fair. Yeah. There is a lot of underwater bollocks. There is. Film. It's just a lot of. Crap. Not inaccurate, but from a filmmaking point of view, that's hard to do. I appreciate that. No, no, they don't get credit for trying <laughs> and failing. They get credit for trying and succeeding. They get credit for nearly killing Sean Connery with a shark that came out the wrong tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> That's also true. Anything that nearly kills Sean Connery is all right in my books. <laughs> the quickening. Um, so what, what's uh, what's your favourite, Jack? Uh, it has to be Goldfinger. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's the definitive one. It's it's the one... When I think of Bond, that's what I think of. Okay. Kind of thing. That is the one that sticks out to we'll, me. We'll, sure. we'll do this again in a second, but with songs, because it's very different. Um, oh. What's your favourite Lazenby, guys? Ah, <laughs> oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Mine's on a Majesty's Secret Service. Okay, mm. controversial pick. Uh, but I will say, on a Majesty's Secret Service, one of my favourite Bond themes. Oh, that that, that yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. That's true. It is, especially it's when good. it's remixed it's by the Propellerheads. 
<laughs> um, okay, jokes aside, more. Live and let die, the man with the golden gun, the spy who loved me, Runeraker, for your eyes only, octopusy, and view to a kill. These aren't as strong as the other ones, I think. I think the more ones I'm always like, ah. Yeah. The more ones, like, I, I really struggle to differentiate the spy who loved me and for your eyes only. I think uh-huh. I've only seen Octopussy once and, and wasn't really watching it much at the time. Like the, you chose I, wisely. I, um, I, I have fond memories of Live and Let Die and I have fond memories of View to a Kill. So I like mm-hmm. the bookends for, for more. Um, yeah, that's fair. And uh, again, Man with the Golden Gun, I would have to rewatch because I, I can remember bits and pieces. I can remember the kind of the confrontation in Scaramanga's lair being I was gonna very say. weird to my like ten yeah. year old self or whatever. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would, I would, I more I feel is the era I remember least well, um, and that I would be yeah, intrigued, definitive. intrigued to go back and see what they're like. But again, mm. there's so many things I'd rather we watch slash rewatch first. So of you course. know. See, I really, I really, really like Scaramanga. Uh, I like Christopher Lee as Scaramanga more specifically. But True. yeah, the whole film doesn't live up to him as a bad guy. The, the the man with the golden gun is not as good as as that villain would let you think. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, for your eyes only is my favorite more for sure because I think after having Moonraker and it being so fucking silly. Mm. It kind of hints at what you get with Dalton in that. I don't mean to do this whole like it's more grounded, realistic, <laughs> but like he's back on Earth. He's dealing with the KGB. It's like <laughs> it brings him <laughs> back know. back down to Earth. <laughs> I mean, literally grounded. That's what I mean. He's literally stuck back on the ground. Um, and yeah, you get the kind of like oh, I don't know, like the. The, the 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 cube it's all kind of cold war-y russian-y cuban-y kind mm. of stuff and i I just like that kind of mm. that plays as a really nice setting for that kind of bond where they take it not necessarily seriously because it's still fucking roger moore <laughs> he's still matron every five minutes but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i think that as a contrast to moonraker which i wish i liked more because god it's a cool idea and it it is kind of defined the whole like oh I'm gonna base on the moon <laughs> said every villain ever in the last forty years, but yeah, for your eyes only is 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 a good good more for me. Interesting. Well, there is some underwater footage in there that is questionable. <laughs> Mine is um is live and let die. I think mm. uh, a lot of questionable shit in there. Obviously, yes, um, very much so. Yafet Koto, I really like as. As a as a villain, as an adversary, Mister Big, um, I love the. I think it's one of the. I think it's one of the best looking bonds. It it is actually. I think I think it's right. Yeah, like just the the cinematography and things. Ah, oh, cinematography is so good. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. and also for the fact that um, there's actually a bit of a supernatural elements to it. Mm. Bond isn't just. There's actually like, oh, this is very different. This actually feels like he's actually. I mean, obviously, like everything, it's like, well, actually, it's all this instead. He's not like, you know, um, Baron Samity isn't actually like a zombie voodoo dude. Mm. Like, uh, isn't he? I'm not sure. I know what's going on here. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. That's, that's yeah. There's, there's like voodoo. If I remember, there's like voodoo priest shit and stuff. Yeah. Isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the closest we get to seeing Bond out of his depth, which, as we you know, we were saying earlier, like he is a character who is 
never out of his depth, never awkward in any situation. Like that is the closest we get to him being faced with something truly like that he doesn't understand and doesn't isn't able to kind of just give a kind of chuckle and and a witticism to. Precisely. It's 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 him most fish out of water. How do people feel about mm. uh about Jaws, about having a returning antagonist? A returning antagonist who ends up getting a love interest. I mean that is that is the one of the shittiest parts of Moonraker, um, but in the the idea of Jaws, I think is is much better than the execution. Um, Extremely, I think Jaws uh, Richard yeah. Peel is, is is a good physical performance as a henchman thing. I think he's very. I mean, there's lots of henchmen they all get disposed of, but I think there's something uh, of a familiarity that it's like the problem is like everything. Um, I, there's an old quote which is that. Um, Guests and fish stink after three days, yeah. and <laughs> the idea being that the more, oh, pun, ah. uh, the the more <laughs> that uh, Jaws comes back, the less threatening he is, mm. because he should be more threatening. If anything, he yeah. should be intensely terrifying because he doesn't fucking die. He doesn't stay <laughs> gone. He keeps coming back, and he you know chomps shit through shit. That should be excruciating, but it's not. It becomes more silly. And that's obviously going to know how he's treated being silly. It also means that Bond, there's no threat from him because Bond just goes, well, I'll deal, I'll deal with you in a minute, old friend. Chop, 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 chop. It's like, how is this towering guy with metal fucking gnashes who's chomping his way through fucking cables, like steel cables, how is he being in any way bested by this sozzled English pale boy <laughs> And his fancy like drinks. Safari suit wearing, terrible yeah. karate yeah. chopping. I do, yeah. I do absolutely love that line. Like, oh, you know that man? Well, not socially. His name is Jaws yeah. and he kills people. <laughs> <laughs> As if that, oh, that, oh, that explains it then. Like, I think I feel like a lot of my interactions in Norwich, Jack will look at me like, do you know that person? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people. His name's Jaws. <laughs> <and he> kills people. <laughs> um let's let's circle back because one thing we didn't we didn't cover much with you know, we've obviously a lot of heavier suspect subject of um anti-intellectualism and imperialism and forced traditionalism and all these wonderful things that are very uh film theory and all that sort of stuff. Bond music is good. The themes are <laughs> always good, even when they're shit. Except for Fury Zone, which is terrible. Um and no, the film's fine. Just you're, the song's terrible. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're wrong. You're um, and it's one of those iconic things where you have some some really really big names being pulled in to make these things. And again, the music changes to fit the period. Mm. So uh, the the Doctor No opening twang, what the iconic James Bond sort of themes and stuff, and the, and the very very iconic opening scenes with the with the flashing single dots and stuff, very almost Saul Bassy kind of stuff. Very cool. Very iconic. Um, From Russia with Love being a very crooning sort of thing, a very 50s, late 60s kind of, um, almost Sinatra kind of thing with it. Matt Matt Monroe, I think it is, I think. Mm. Um, and then finally you get the Shelley Bassey, big, epic, thundering sort of thing. Uh, and you have to do these powerful vocals. Then you get pop music stuff going with Only Live Twice. All orchestral stuff for Majesty's Secret Service. Bassey again. Then you get Wings doing Live and Let Die, which starts off like some really, really cool guitar stuff. 
followed by some Bob the Builder fucking um, <laughs> Paul McCartney. When you gotta jump, do, you gotta do it. Well, like, thank you, See, Randy Newman. Uh, he's, he's so good, and then he's fucking Randy. I mean, yeah, Newman it's, it's the both the best two. and the worst at the same time. Don't do verses, Paul. Don't, oh no, yeah. we let McCartney write the verse again, <laughs> and it goes a bit. Uh, it goes a bit disco-y. And then finally, it's Duran Duran with Beautiful. I don't like that song. Um, and it goes very 80s pop again. So there's a big spectrum of stuff here. And obviously, we'll speak to our own personal music tastes and things. But again, if you had to pick one overall, what would be your favourite? I mean, am I allowed the Propellerheads version of an On Her Majesty's Secret Service? I'm not going to say no, because at the end of the day, a cover still is still based on the initial thing. So I think that's yeah. fair. I'd probably go for that. If not... Um... I mean, gold, Goldfinger, there's a reason it's iconic, you know, and, the, wah, wah, and, I, 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 and I think the song is so much a part of why that film is held up as the archetype of Bond. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, fuck it. I, I just, uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, so good. It is very good. It's it's it's. I remember when I was watching The Incredibles for the first time, and I thought, "Is this?" It's, not it's just... in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Is this not just the same fucking theme?" Um, because it is. It's great, and it's very uh, broad. And the, I mean, there's obviously already a score going on. This is the first one that doesn't really have a song as such, mm. but it doesn't need it because, damn, it's good. But I know they were trying for different things and and, and yeah. trying different stuff. Um, Jack, what about you? Um, well, here's another one. Does anyone remember what the song Octopussy sounds like? Fuck no. I couldn't even tell you um, who sang it. Is it called Octopussy? Must be. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's it's one of these ones that's um, something else. It's called Touch something else. My Spy. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck uh, is the song Octopussy? Where are we? All Time High by Rita All College. Time Fucking High, the other worst Bond track. <laughs> On All Time High. Oh. Yeah, it's crap. So it feels like it's, right it's so it's off crap. tune or off kilter. Oh God. Um, I have always enjoyed. Um, oh, we were just talking about it. For God's sake, where's my mind gone blank? Goldfinger. Uh, no, you only live twice. Ah, uh, uh, with the the now synonymous with the the verb. That is a great sting. <laughs> Such a great kind of plink, 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 plink. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that little, that little catchy moment, and like you said, the the gold finger thing is so iconic because of that. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, it just works so well. Gold finger, and then it all ties in with like, um, and I can't remember if this is true or not. But this is a this is a one of those like probably urban legend kind of bullshit things, but the. They thought about changing the song after they'd done a bunch of the filming and a bunch of the scenes are edited to the wah, wah, wah. Whenever Bond does anything cool in that movie, he like, <laughs> wah, wah, now. <laughs> well, you, you can't change it now because you it's kind of everywhere. Cut, cut the film to that soundtrack. <laughs> yep. And every 10 seconds it goes, meow, meow, meow. <laughs> you, can't really, you can't really change that now. Um, but apparently that was written by John Barry on a tea break between like writing other songs. He just did the meh meh meh. Hold on. If we do if we do other stuff around that, then we can uh hold on, let's try. 
There you go. And like 20 minutes later, yep. he written Goldfinger, apparently. So. That's how a lot of <laughs> iconic tracks do tend to be born into existence. Yeah, I do love the like, oh, I was, oh, I was having a poo in the recording studio and then I wrote my next number one single. You're like, what? Didn't how? Prince very famously have microphones all over his house just in case he was inspired by something and go, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's, and that's, that's what normal all the, like, posthumous recordings are of him just wandering around the house <laughs> <laughs> muttering to himself. Um, I feel like Diamonds Are Forever is probably the biggest Ooh. gap between quality of song and quality of film. Oh, okay. okay I'd, I'd say Diamonds Are Forever is up there as one of the most iconic. Yes. And maybe that and Goldfinger are like the two. Yeah, and my memories mm. of Diamonds Are Forever, the film, is not very good. Fair. I feel like I mean, it's kind of defined by the fact that it's got a character called Plinty O'Toole in it. That's right, yeah. God's sake. It um, just pawns down. Named, named, named after, named after your father. Because <laughs> of his giant fucking dick. Tell me more like, about <laughs> your father's cock. <laughs> yeah, Bassie did three, didn't she? She did uh, Goldfinger, Diamonds Forever, and Moonraker, which doesn't go like that at all, no. but we all assume it does. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, Moonraker. He's the man, the man with a moon to rake. <laughs> but you but mustn't, you mustn't rake. rake. <laughs> Such a moon rake. <laughs> um, that does mean rake. I'm listening to Moonraker right now. How does it go? Generic crap. <laughs> I, I'm I'm torn. Uh, is the answer to my one. I, I agree with Tim on Majesty's Secret Service. is fucking great. Um, I really like Nobody Does It Better from The Spy Who Loved Me. That's a surprising mm-hmm. track. That to me never it, it never really feels it feels like a great it's very song. Bondy, though, is it? That doesn't yeah. feel like a Bond song. Yeah. Um I love Live and Let Die most of it. Um So yeah, I, I forget that bit exists and then I remember Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney can't help <laughs> and himself. And it's not just na 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 in truth, because again, I think there's pros and cons. The first few are really solid. It's Doctor No, that that guitar twanging, ding 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 ding. I know it's not a song, but that that that's cheating. Fuck <laughs> you. That's too good. It's too good not to be used. Um, even Toothless disagrees. <laughs> your, your your pussy knows nothing. <laughs> Octopus. Um, but if I had to choose one that wasn't that, I guess I'd go. I would probably go. Live and let die or brace your asses. Maybe a view to a kill. I like some Duran Duran. That's a good good song. Again, Duran Duran. Sounds Bondy. Good song. It does sound sound Bondy, but it also, because it's so 80s, it feels weirdly, it it feels weirdly more dated than something like Goldfinger. Yeah, weirdly enough. Because Goldfinger just feels timeless, whereas View to a Kill. Yeah, I agree. And like the Living Daylights, I know we're venturing into the next era then. but... But you're right, it's the next one along, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They both feel so eighties. The true. one that I forget is a Bond theme is We Have All the Time in the World by Louis Armstrong. Oh, the other just, on Her Majesty's Secret Service song. The other yeah. on Her Majesty's Secret Service is like 
I guess that's kind of a Bond theme, and it's so not Bondy. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, very just, true. Just quiet, chill, Louis Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, it it it's it's like everything the film isn't supposed to be is this big, huge action piece. It's this very calm little thing. It's like, oh, I don't really think you fit here, but it does. Um, just just to round off some stuff then, because I think we've done, we've covered this in a very. I mean, you can only scratch the surface with Bond. There's so much. You, each film you come in too much. Yeah, depth. we could we could be yeah. doing a two hour discussion just on Doctor No if we wanted. You know, easily, but... easily. Um, and I think that this is the key point. We've seen them all, right? Yes. Yes. How often does that happen on sequelizers? That there'll be a film <laughs> franchise that there's so many installments of that all three of us have seen all of them. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's, I think that's coming probably about upcoming it. episodes. Precisely. And I think that's um, an interesting statement to the not necessarily this the quality, but the 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 prevalence of this series. We talked about Harry Potter, obviously, but yeah, true. Crimes of Grindelwald, like ugh. I I have not seen Grindelgups. Oh, you, you see, there you exactly. go. Yeah, that's that's one that yeah, crosses the list. I remember us talking about that. So I mean, nothing of this length. Yeah. I mean, if you like, say we've seen all the Jurassic Park films, and it's like pause for effect. Yes, we have. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, but there's only like fucking five of them. You're like, yeah. yeah. Well, the franchise has got 24, 25 films, and you go... 20, 20, soon to be 26. 26 yes. If um, you're including all the other... Yeah. Products and, yeah. and again, <laughs> we'll have seen that probably... It won't be one that's just missed no, soon off. No, soon to be 27. No what? Time to Die will be the 27th. What? The, it's, the 20, it's the 25th uh, Eon production, but there's two other ones in there, obviously, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So does that include Never Say Never Again? No, shouldn't no. Be, shouldn't okay. be. That, that's not canon. That, that would not, be not, not broccoli. Yeah. That would be twenty six. Yeah, and then the other Casino Royale is obviously yeah. twenty seven. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's also something very I wanted to put like as a, a final cap on these p- films specifically, uh, something that dates them very specifically and also groups them together very specifically. That you can just halve them down the middle between the difference between the Dalton, the Brosnan, and the Craig era to these ones. And that's lack of consequence. <laughs> um, except Lazenby. He's the one bat he's at the at the oddball island in there. Connery and Moore's characters, especially. There's no arc, no real closure. He doesn't end a war, he just kind of carries on. He doesn't actually resolve a lot of the conflicts. Yes, he stops the bad guy. The 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 propped up individual that the film shows you is the objective the mission the whatever it is mm. he doesn't bring stability to the area he doesn't bring like extra fucking safety or security for the public either the public of britain or the public of wherever the fuck he's let's face it invading are you saying he's doing an indiana jones and he's just kind of there and then stuff happens mm. around him no i think he has a lot of agency i think he literally being an agent i think he uh, he does stop plots a pun, a pun. Oh, fuck. it's a, it's an ob- ob- observance um, he, he, <laughs> you're an observance. Accurate. Um, yeah, he, uh, he does, you know, stop plots. He, he is physically the guy putting the bullet in the thing or sending a missile off on something that stops the plan from happening. So he's definitely, uh, an active force, shall we say. But he himself, and this is this is a time honored sort of phrase that I bring back when I'm talking about certain reviews and definitely for certain sequelizing things, the Bond adage is, it's not if Bond escapes, it's how Bond escapes. He gets captured, he gets tortured, oh, what's going to happen? No one is worried that Bond's going to die. 
because he's James fucking Bond. And as the te- credits tell you, James Bond will return. Yeah. <laughs> but always. How can there be conflict? How can there be tension if you know he's going to be fine? It's because you want to see how. It's almost yeah. like the competence porn. You want to see what cool way is he going to get out of this? Mm. It's 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 almost a given. I think that it, weirdly that plays back into the gadgets because it's those are very much they're your um you know they are you know that every gadget that he gets given is going to get used probably just once over the course of the film and so a lot of the time it's it's uh it's like okay well we know he's got that thing and that thing and that thing left how's he going to use how's he going to deploy them in an interesting way because it won't yeah. be the way that Q told him to do it it'll be some <laughs> weird thing that he'll do with them you know and it's it, only for this. It's like I'm using it for unzipping a dress. It's like, yes, oh, that's not what that's oh, for. So, oh, you have such a light touch, James. Um, and but I think weirdly that is sort of the tension of those films. Is mm. like you say, it's how how is he going to get away with this thing? Because we know that he will do. Um, yeah. And there's very rarely any, like you say, sense of consequences. Um, to these films and i think part of that is to keep them as fantasies you can't mm, have mm. james bond going around and like actually toppling governments and putting different regimes in place because that gets a little bit close to the knuckle in terms of like what actual spies to so he just has to prevent disasters you know he just has to go around and you know mm. sort of prop up the, the the british interest without actually advancing it yeah. um <laughs> because and, that, and that's that also positions, you know, the sort of British intelligence, you know, the, the British government in these films as much more, uh, I suppose, kind, <laughs> mm. to, for want of a better phrase. You know, it, it, we are just there. Oh, you know, well, we're just making sure that, you know, the, the laser in space doesn't hit everyone. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's all our spies do you know they're just they're just <laughs> making sure that you know the diamonds aren't you know fort knox isn't raided you know they're they're uh, gentlemen they're just trying to make sure that things are in order and everything carries yes, on because these, not... these these silly other countries can't really take care of themselves they so can't we just settle send, down we just send a nice chap in over there to, to, to just take care of problems and then he goes away yes. don't worry we certainly haven't built a big railroad while he was doing it to ship all of your <laughs> mineral wealth out of the country yes 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 you don't need wheat who needs wheat <laughs> send it all to the british soldiers and greece um it, it is very very telling and also it's very interesting how bond therefore is the arm of the establishment at this time so in the 60s and 70s it's pushing the message of it's not it's not propaganda but it's pushing the message of the country and the government it's pushing the 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 what could be whereas in the 70s especially i mean roger moore's doing his travel the world and do all his weird shit but in the 70s, you had so many interesting auteurs and filmmakers who were coming out of the woodwork and challenging things, making very stripped down movies, anti, anti-Hollywood movies, shall we say. Um, and you had um, just individuals like Scorsese and, and Coppola and stuff like that, and even to, to a degree Spielberg, um, challenging authorities and giving you very shocking films, basically. And Bond isn't that because Bond is mainstream. Bond is blockbuster. Well, not blockbuster, mm. it's not until Jaws, really. But, you know, Bond is this big release. And it has to be. It can't, um, it can't upset the apple cart too much, either in terms of politics or in terms of real-world events or in terms of the status quo, mm. until you get to 
the Dalton era stuff, the Brosnan especially. We'll get to that as I say. But this is all about reinforcing those stereotypes by reinforcing stereotypes. Yeah, I mean, the the period that we're covering, the the world and Britain changes a considerable amount in that time. Incredibly and it, so. And you don't hugely see that reflected in these films. Um, you you the, the, the Britain that James Bond kind of returns to in you know the, the the latter era of the more films still looks pretty much like the britain that he is you know reporting to at the very beginning um and it like you say it's not until you know you've had you've had like punk come and go in those yeah, times yeah. you know and that is not at all really reflected in in how bond deals with the world you know just as a, ve- a very kind of cursory example of of the changes that have undergone well, I mean, it's it's a very strange thing because the British government of what we own and control in terms of the British Empire by the fifties, under say like the Suez Canal crisis earlier, that was the Suez Canal crisis and the handing over of Hong Kong was where things were like, oh, God, we've lost it. It's gone. <laughs> this is dead now. I mean, we're still in the sort of you know the 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 the, the death rattle of the empire. Mm. Um, but the the British Empire in the in the late fifties, early sixties, when the Bond films started, was in a very weird place. It was very uh, fragmented bits mm. that we sort of had, and even then, there were just so many upsets and disputes. Um, I think in nineteen sixty something, independence was declared in, in in Jamaica and Trinidad and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the in the seventies. God, Belize, I want to say. Lots of Africa. Again, that's mm. why Bond never covers Africa until I think mm. at all. It, it might do in, in a small capacity or a passing comment. Um, but there's there's so many bits. And, and obviously all the island nations, like like Fiji and shit mm. and, and Papua New Guinea and all those things. They're, they're, they're all, they're all, I know there are things about France as well, but that's where this stuff started to sort of fall away. And it it, it is this this arrogant, confident Connery going around the world, as we said earlier, like, oh, I'm British, let me in, come on, step aside, to more just, I'm a bit of a fun man who's going around. Is it like a, a, a drunk uncle at the end of a party? And you're like, <laughs> you punched everyone in this fucking room. Why are you seeing so fucking, in inverted commas, charming what he's trying to be? I suppose the, the one constant that we have in this period and the thing that would most dramatically affect Bond is the Cold War. Um, and obviously we'll get into how the change there impacted him once we go on to uh, to Dalton, to Brosnan, and to Craig. But that that will be another time. Yeah, because as much as we talk about like you know the, the foreign exotic locations and bringing justice to the savages and all that bullshit, um, there's always the the real threat of the Cold War, which was genuinely felt by the country and the world. Um, uh, of 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 the rise and the sweep of communism, um, because it again reinforcing those stereotypes. Commies equal bad, and America obviously lapped that shit up, loved it as well. But as Tim said, drawing close to the end of the part one, because we will come back to a very very different political spectrum, different ideologies, mm. different tropes in a weird way, um, because the self awareness and the um, critical nature itself, which also upsets a lot of people because uh, they, they come to expect a certain thing from Bond and sometimes they don't want their Bond to challenge them and sometimes they do. It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit of a weird one. That wraps us up for this period of Bond. But we'll be back 
The sequelizers will be back. Really? He will. There you go. To discuss more Bond in the future. But before then, you can message us on all the various social medias if you have any Bond opinions. I'm sure you do. <laughs> You'll be correcting all our various mistakes and misquotes. I'm looking forward to people saying, I've never seen a Bond and I never want to. Oh, yeah, we're going to get that. We're definitely yeah, I gonna hate get that. Bond. Gonna be some, yeah. There's going to be some millennial or Gen Zer that's just like, I hate Bond. My Fuck wife. Bond. <laughs> or your wife. Probably, probably I mean, uh, sure. this isn't being, being a redacted thing. A lot of women. Because the ladies. There's, and also anyone of any person of colour, because <laughs> it doesn't portray <laughs> either very well. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. I often forget that we're three white men <laughs> talking about these films. Everyone's seen Bond, right? And they're like, ooh, no. We can only speak not. from our own perspective as individuals, so that's, that's what I mean, sure, sure. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm being silly. But uh, if you do have any opinions or questions or anything, uh, any rants you want to make about James Bond towards us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are sequelizers on everything. It's nice and easy. It's the same spelling as it is on your podcast listening device right now no no funny business don't worry <laughs> funny business i'm trying to be all like roger moore you sound like a thing. dad trying to get through customs <laughs> <laughs> that's what roger moore don't, don't no, 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 no funny business <laughs> no funny business yeah you can also contact us via email which is sequelizers at gmail.com as well and of course if you want to leave us a review on your podcast listening device of choice whether that's apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher pod chaser podcast addict pocket casts <laughs> all the other all the other ones those are all real i promise i've i have tried to use them all over the years you can do so we would very much appreciate it, it helps us kind of become trending and become newsworthy and people can uh, then find our podcast through the other apps as well and we very much appreciate that if you'd like to support us financially you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and uh, there's various rewards we do exclusive episodes and all that kind of stuff there are through the in-season stuff there is specific whole episodes not just outtakes not just bonus stuff not just extra little cool bits whole extra episodes for you all hours of stuff to get stuck in hours and hours of stuff and uh yeah you can enjoy that for various tiers in various different forms and then there are a few different awards and there you get discounts on our merch or you can go to sequelizers.com and buy the merch directly it's up to you it's it, it's all it's all available to you dear listeners so if people do want to contact you directly mr stogden and discuss why your opinions on bond are terribly terribly wrong yeah because they are you thunderball loving motherfucker you fine you can <laughs> I like Thunderball, it's fine. Uh, we, 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 we try and avoid fights on Twitter when people spam the shit out of us, but uh, <laughs> but if people mm. want to have a fight with us in a normal, conversive manner, then sure, yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Um, you can talk to me directly on uh, various social media channels. Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You could go to theredrighthand.co.uk and read the various reviews that I write, or cheesemint.com and see the various things that I make as a filmmaker. Tim, the man... I'm not going to sing. <laughs> Just Tim the man. Thank you. Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter, trivia underscore lad, um, where I shall be uh, probably discussing films, comics, music, uh, or the wonderful sport that is baseball at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm always happy to chat about 
any of those various things. Jack Chambers. (laughs) 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 Take your pants off and show me. You're a man. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking of the crying game now for a second there. (laughs) Yeah, you did a bit. You did a bit. If you want to sing my name to the various Bond themes, (laughs) I'm at JLW Chambers on all the social medias. See how many you can fit. The live and let die? No, that doesn't work. Jack Chambers. <laughs> <laughs> you want, do you want to fit, try and fit JLW Chambers? But no, definitely yeah. not going to happen. Definitely not going to happen. But if you do want to contact me, that is the place to do it. If you want to argue with me about various Bond opinions or other opinions, whether that's <laughs> films, comics, video games, TV, you can also get in contact with us on our lovely little Discord, which is pinned at the top of our Twitter and also a link and the aforementioned website. So you can come and chat with us. We always hop in the chat after a episode has been released, whether that's the early release for patrons or the public release on the Tuesday as well. We'll be in there discussing new episodes, discussing new ideas, answering your questions, talking about other stuff that's not films as well. So if you want to talk video games, comics, uh, there's a really good Bond comic that I could recommend, but I can't recommend it because we're only talking about the 60s and 80s. So, yeah. We'll get to that later not on. Not the associated media. <laughs> no, definitely not. The various video games coming soon. Oh God, Bloodstone. That was one. We'll 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 talk about that next time. <laughs> yeah, don't next, you worry. Next There's time, plenty gadget, of plenty of weird associated uh, the GoldenEye video game, of course. Anyway, so of course we'd like to thank our wonderful executive producers of our Patreon, starting off with. Mike Salvia. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> Wasn't very in time there, um, sorry. I'm trying to think what other what other titles could work for this. For the... And of course, Jonathan Firth Clark. And last but by no means least. Like Stuart a steward, <laughs> which you have to hold like, yeah. We're sorry we couldn't get the original artists to reprise their their roles in seeing that they won't know. Mostly dead. Uh, incidentally, if you'd like your name sung out, uh, you could become one of our executive producer tiers. <laughs> have your name mangled by us in vocal form through song or speech. Before we get to more Bond films in the future, in the meantime, we'll see you next week for more interseason goodness. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. See you next week. Shut up, a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look at me. My prediction didn't come true. I know. I'm so I'm, so, I'm heartbroken. What was your prediction? What's Tim's prediction? Can you read that? Does that come? I purposefully <laughs> didn't mention the marmalade. I was gonna mention it. I thought, don't do it, Matt. You've mentioned it too many times in this show. Don't do it. The Dom Perignon and the marmalade. I know you want to, Matt. Don't do it. Yes. <laughs>